Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Sarah Devereaux. She does marketing and customer success stuff at Murmur. We'll learn more <laughs> about that in a little bit. Uh, she's also a leadership coach. Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We're excited to jump in, learn about what Murmur is and what you do there and all sorts of stuff. But first off, let's do our check-in question, our capture question to prove you are a human. Your question <laughs> is, what is a future hobby you would like to start? Ah. Uh... Let's see. Oh, it's a great question. I feel like I'm often so busy, like thinking about hobbies feels like such a luxury. <laughs> like that's most of our lives right now. This is dream world. Imagine you could just magically start it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, my my family and I are finally heading back to Michigan after 10 years um, on the West Coast and in Colorado. Um, and we have a lovely little plot of land. And so I'm excited to start actually uh, gardening like for mm. real. Uh, we're going to try to grow like a solid 50 plus percent um, of our of our own food. So nice. we'll see how that works. I've never actually gardened before. So, you know, it's an ambitious goal slash hobby. That is. That is a lot. I love the homestead type stuff. We do like maple syrup at our place. Oh, amazing. I tried to harvest acorns this year. They have spoiled, so that didn't work. Yeah. But uh, all that kind of stuff I love. Gardening, I'm terrible at, but everything else I like. No idea. Yeah, if I'm good or not, but we'll we'll find out. Um, yeah, we have some hickory nut trees. I've never successfully like done anything with them, but there's a yeah. lot of them. It's always like a lot of work when you get into it, and it's like this is worth it. I, I will make this worth it. <laughs> anyway, okay, you're a human. That 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 qualifies. Thanks for uh, taking the test. Yeah. So cool. Let's jump into things. I know we're we're going to be talking about murmur a little bit. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what it is? Introduce that to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Murmur um, is a SaaS uh, startup. Uh, we are really focusing on how to help people work more effectively together uh, through the power of what we're calling agreements. Um, so if you've done sociocracy before, if you've looked at holacracy before, you might be your participatory governance in any way. Um, you're probably familiar with the concept of agreements. But basically, you know, in in the way that a lot of us work, especially in in digital land, uh, you know, work is really relationships between people and coordinating action um, and figuring out how we're going to make progress together. So we really believe that the basis of that uh, is agreeing on how to move forward, how to collaborate, how to communicate, uh, what types of tool stacks we're going to use, just getting people on the same page and and keeping them there um, through a very, uh, what we think at least, is an inclusive and very participatory process. Good. Well, we will dive into some of the specifics in a bit. Let's zoom out a little bit here. When we talk about the digital workplace, a lot of times we talk about how some of these digital changes we're making reveal stuff underneath the surface that we weren't prepared to deal with. Yeah. And I think this is a great example of that in that when you start doing more digital work, even just like working from home, having less of an oversight of that manager relationship that's just telling you what to do all the time. Mm you start to see some things. And one of those is how we make decisions together, Yeah, collectively making decisions. So so walk us through your experience with that, even just your own personal experience in, in the corporate world and where you are now. 
Yeah. So um, decision making, <laughs> I was I was just talking with someone about decision making at Google. So I spent 14 years there before before joining mm-hmm. uh, Murmur, and I feel like we were just constantly trying to reinvent how we made decisions. Um, it's something that I think everybody struggles with. You know, you want to make the right decision, you want to make the complete decision, and and at Murmur, one of the things that really attracted me to the product in the first place was that it was all about experiments. And yes, like making a decision, but making a decision to try something mm. instead of making a decision to definitively do something. And there's something very different um, about the way that that feels. If the question is, how do we make this thing that we're trying to, you know, we're trying to experiment with, um, that we're trying to execute on, safe to try, instead of how do we make it perfect, then the the threshold, that level of tolerance for trying something new, for experimenting with a different, you know, kind of approach um, is a lot lower. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I watched as Google, just as an example, grew from, you know, 6,000 people when I started um, to over 140,000 when I left. And that ship got really big and it got really Mm. slow. Um, And trying to turn the ship just got harder and harder and harder. So trying to make a lot of these centralized, you know, cross-functional decisions, we create almost like this false sense of importance around it where it's like, well, we can't experiment because there's just so many people. And the reality is that that's just not true. We can try stuff, move more quickly, look for those initial signals that something's working and something's not. But the kicker is that you have to be, you have to be willing to change it when you find out that something's not working. You have to be willing to put your hand up and say, you know what? My idea didn't pan out and that's Mm. okay. You know, it's okay to change something um, after you've tried it for, you know, two weeks, a month, you know, three months. It's a lot harder when you're putting in place a multi-year, you know, project that, that you know, you don't want to change um, before it's, it's had kind of time to spread its wings. The last thing I'll say on this is that um, I think that team involvement, like true involvement, not just checking the box like so-and-so has seen this, but have they actually contributed to it, um, is really important. And and Murmur's really focused on consent-based decision-making. So again, it's not about about consensus. It's not about making everybody happy or crafting sort of this perfect way forward. It's about, is what we're proposing safe to try within the timeframe that we're proposing to try it? And something might be safe to try for somebody when they when they're looking at a two week or maybe even two month, you know, time frame. But it wouldn't be safe to try for them if we're looking at two years. Unpack that a little bit more. The difference between consensus and consent. Yeah, yeah. So consensus is really about getting everybody to to be happy is the way that we we kind of typically think right. about it. Um, I'll be totally honest. I'm not sure if that's actually in the definition. I'm probably, probably <laughs> not, but. But it's really the way that we the way that we implement um, sort of consensus-based decision making in business is we're trying to get everybody to be happy with everything, to feel comfortable. You'll often hear that like when a facilitator is is facilitating a consensus-based uh, process, they'll say, "Well, how does everyone feel? Does everyone feel comfortable?" The idea behind consent is not about feeling comfortable. We actually want you, and we think there's value in feeling uncomfortable. Um, it's really more about 
are we within sort of your range of tolerance? Is this safe to try? Not is it, not is it the perfect solution? Not is it, you know, something that again, you feel comfortable with or that you're happy about, but is this something that you feel that the team could experiment with, learn from, which is really, again, like the purpose of, of doing a lot of this stuff. What can you learn about making things better? And, and then, uh, is it is it something that is uh, not going to cause like irreparable harm to the team? So oftentimes we have a, a little objection consent, you know, uh, uh, modal within Murmur. It's part of the the Murmur method process, and and one of the things that uh, we do is we have like this little objection test. And if somebody objects to a proposal, the first question that they're asked is, okay, well, is it is it something that's going to cause harm? Is it harm that will be difficult to recover from or probably pretty easy to recover from? Is it harm that's going to be immediate or is it going to be really far into the future? So, so consent is, is about can you get on board with giving this a shot, not do you necessarily agree and feel good about everything that's being proposed? That's good. Let's get into the idea of who makes the decision. And mm. specifically, you brought up the idea of equity. And I feel like in, for the most part, when you look at how organizations have made decisions, it's always kind of comes back to, okay, whoever's, you know, that highest paid person in the room or whatever that, yeah. that you have to make that call. And sometimes that's the person forcing the decision on other people. And other times it's everyone else abdicating and saying, I'm not going to make it the call. You make it. <laughs> so tell us about a better approach to decision-making rather than just saying, Hey, one person's got to make the call on this. Yeah. Yeah. So this consent-based approach, like in terms of, uh, you know, the inclusion element, everybody has an equal opportunity um, to, to be able to ask questions, to make suggestions, and to say whether or not I consent or object. If the proposal doesn't pass... Um, the consent object, that that decision uh, stage of the process, um, then the proposal doesn't move forward. So the proposer has the responsibility to get everyone to a point where they can say, yes, this is safe to try. Um, salaries, hierarchy, like none of that plays into the way that Murmur works. Um, we're actually trying to figure out, uh, you know, what are some of the ways that we can configure the system and customize the system so that if you do have, let's say, like a psychologically unsafe, you know, kind of environment that you're operating in, or you do have a highly, you know, hierarchical and bureaucratic um, sort of, uh, you know, decision-making um, structure, um, what can we do within the tool um, to help uh, pull that apart a little bit to help dismantle it um, so that everybody does have that voice. Right now, you can see, right, like who's making, you know, comments, who's who's asking questions, making suggestions, et cetera. So if you do have a highly political environment, there's still some, like, ability um, to be able to kind of manipulate uh, the, the outcome based on the people and how they're participating with each other. So a lot of the responsibility for Murmur Working falls on the participants and and really uh you know bringing uh you know their their best intents um mm -hmm. to to the table um and we're experimenting with a lot of our early beta testers on like okay so let's say that you didn't have the good psychological safe environment that you have currently like what would you like to see murmur do differently um in in order to kind of facilitate that all right so in a lot of ways i feel like murmur is for people who really want to do this well and already have a bias towards wanting to do that. So I, I want to get into this idea because you're mm. building a product, but you're also trying to influence uh, people. To yeah, <laughs> just for fun. Yeah, <laughs> just for fun. 
this came up when we we're doing some reviews of other tools of noticing, yeah. okay, this, this tool has a certain bias and they are very upfront and open with that bias. Yours would be more towards, towards consent um, based decisions and towards equitable decision-making and, and this yeah. process that you have. At what point do you feel like the tool can influence the culture? Mm. And at what point do you feel like, you know, cause I mean, somebody could come in with a very hierarchical system and say, Hey, I want to use this tool for my stuff. I'm going to send this out. Everyone agree to it and they can bend it to their will. I guess the culture can overtake most mm. tools that way. So what's been your approach as you work on the actual product side of it to, yeah. to acknowledge that and push those limits as far as you can? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We've been building in um, kind of in-app uh, nudges for folks and advice, and we're starting to work on building out our help center and like really talking about those opinions, I would say. We're a highly opinionated tool mm -hmm. um, around what we believe is the the best way to make decisions for a team, for people. Um, so the the thing that I've noticed in, in working with our customers, so I'll sort of answer this in two parts. So one, what I've noticed and one, um, what I, what I think, um, is, is going to happen next. So what I've noticed is that if there is, are issues within the culture, um, then murmur shines an incredibly blinding light, um, on those issues because you can't really escape them. Like mm. based on the way that the process works and how it's, it is, segmented into kind of these different uh, these different rounds leading up to that consent or object moment, there's nowhere to hide. So the passive aggressive behavior, um, the uh, you know sort of um, power dynamics, all of it is very much in plain sight within the tool um, as long as the team is participating. Now, if the team is just like not touching anything, so let's say that you do have a situation like the one that you just described where somebody goes in um, and they're like, I'm just going to make a bunch of decisions and you all have to agree to them. I mean, technically they don't. What is that person going to do? Like go and, and sit next to them at their computer and press the button um, that they agree. Like they don't have to, um, but they could because murmur is also a timed process. So if people don't interact, if they don't participate and contribute within the time that that the tool allows, and there's control over that, obviously, um, on the on the team side, um, then uh, then they they would consent by default. But if all of your agreements are consenting by default then basically all you're doing um, is creating documents, which is not mm. what Murmur is. Murmur is built on documentation, obviously, but it's a process, not a document. Yeah. Um, and so if you're just building documents, then just go build them in a document editor. Like the agreement piece of it, the consent piece of it just doesn't even matter in that instance. But what I'm noticing with our, with our current customers is in um, toxic environments, that toxicity is just coming right up to the surface. And so I've actually got several teams right now that um, even though this probably isn't like a scalable thing that we'll do for the foreseeable future, I'm doing like team coaching with them and I'm coaching yeah. their CEO and I'm coaching their chief people officer and sitting down and saying, hey, here's why I think you know, you're, you're seeing what you're seeing. Talk to me a little bit about like what you see in other parts, you know, of, of interaction and communication with your team. And, and what have you noticed in Murmur that's either similar or different to some of the potentially like unproductive behavior that you're seeing in other parts of the business? So shines that light, like, and it's like, okay, we can either 
you know, and I've got some teams that are like, yep, we want to fix this. This has really brought it to the forefront that like, man, we have some team issues and mm-hmm. we need to actually work on us a little bit. Murmur's not going to fix it, but it certainly highlights every single time you go into that tool that there's a culture problem that you need to work on. Wow. That is a tough place to be. And I really appreciate that the work that you're doing it and helping people realize those things. When it comes to this collective decision-making, you talked about being at Google, at being at a big place. At some level, it sounds like, okay, these big decisions, that's something like once we have a legal team in or once we like have like a established HR team in, then mm. we need to make these decisions. But at, like, at what point in the team, I'm just thinking about smaller teams that are there, is it important to establish these decisions? And at what point can you still kind of just kind of flow with it for a while? Yeah, You know, this is such, it's such a funny question. Also a great question um, because I don't think I have like a perfect answer to it. Like we, we started asking this question very soon after I joined the team um, at the beginning of the year, like who, who is our ideal target customer? Like what stage are they at? How many people are they at? Like how long has this company been around? Um, Is there anything to do with like the industry that they're in? Like who's the best champion within the company? And what we've noticed is that there's not so much of like a demographic when it comes to Murmur's ideal customer, but there's definitely what I would call uh, a psychographic. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. It was in my head. Like, there's there's a mindset that like our ideal person comes to the tool with, um, which is I want to build better. I want to build a better team. I want to make work more wonderful. I see that there is a place for me to improve, for me to learn, and and for us to do this better than what I've seen in the past. And I think that um, you know, when that happens really depends on the team itself. So I'll give you a couple of just kind of examples, like archetypes of what we've seen so far. And, and, you know, you, your listeners can, can make a determination of their own, perhaps if it's Mm -hmm. a good fit for them. Um, so we've had, we've had teams all the way from two up into like, you know, the thousands who have, who have come into Murmur, um, during our beta test. Um, for those two person teams, we've had a couple of teams that have come in who have been co-founders, um, and they've been, um, serial founders. So they've had, this is not their first rodeo. Um, this is their second, third, I think one of our teams, even this is one of their fourth companies. Um, and they've, they've come in, um, and said, we know how important it is for us to have agreement as a founding team, um, for how the company gets built out, both in terms of culture and in terms of scaling. Um, and one of the teams even, um, that came in with just the co-founder, um, was like, onboarding, like recruiting and onboarding for a new team that's this small has always been a struggle for me. And I Mm. don't just want to invite my friends again, you know, or people that I've worked with before, you know, the, this particular founder was incredibly um, committed um, to diversity and to bringing in different perspectives than he had brought to his companies previously. And he's like, my network is lacking. And so he saw Murmur as a way to really be explicit about how work will get done at this new company um, and what he believed and what his co-founder believed and and to show what that culture might feel like for a prospective employee. And then he, you know, several of those, you know, very small teams, anywhere from two to kind of six, 
um, have told us that bringing on new people and being able to onboard quickly um, in a uh, you know situation where as a as a very early stage startup you're just kind of doing so much stuff right like everything's so incredibly busy. Um, they've said that Murmur has just been invaluable um, on being able to onboard their folks quickly to kind of like get them to a baseline of like here's how we do work like here's how work gets done at this company. Um, all the way from, you know, norms, you know, cultural type stuff, communication norms, et cetera, um, to, you know, more individual like processes. Um, so client intake, for instance, or client communication, like that's been a big one um, mm. that we've seen some of those very early um, startups really focus in on for agreements. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've had like hundreds and like I said, thousands, you know, um, of, uh, you know, uh, person organizations that have also come in and it's been a good time for them to do it. Um, so it just kind of, I think, depends on like, do you want to build sort of from the ground up? Um, or are you at a stage where like you've established enough, you've worked through enough of the kinks that now you're ready to document? Hmm. My bias um, as a, you know, member of a highly opinionated tool um, is that I think starting from from the ground um, is is a better place to be in. What I've noticed in those thousand person teams is that they're making really good progress, but they are they are struggling to break bad habits. So because sure. they've started later, they've allowed those bad habits to form, um, and and so it's been a little bit more of an uphill, I would say, battle um, to to get into a rhythm with the tool um, versus some of those smaller teams that are just starting out. And just imagining the kind of confidence you can come in when you are onboarded into a team that says, hey, take your first day or whatever and just read through all of our yeah. agreements that I have and, and give us some questions about it. And you can see that they have, they've thought about all these things that goes through. Yeah. And then you know how to act in a meeting. You know how to act when you're doing reviews and retrospectives. Like you, you know what's expected. That, that's a great level of confidence. Yeah. And I think that the like the one step above that that I would just offer is that it's the reason that I feel like there is more than just documenting. Like it's not just documenting that stuff and then having people be able to read it. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's this knowledge that like this wasn't just created in a vacuum. This wasn't just created by yeah. like you know, the the CEO and the chief people officer sitting in a room deciding the fate of everybody else. Like this was a consent-based, you know, co-created policy that I have the ability um, now that I'm a member of this team to be able to, to be able to influence in the future. So even for these thousand person organizations, because obviously you're not going to go through a full consent-based decision-making process um, with a thousand or more people, that would be utter chaos and very miserable for everyone. It's, it's really more the, one of the things that we, um, uh, that we, I get excited about this. So I'm getting ahead of myself and my, my okay, mouth's okay. getting ahead of my brain. Um, but the, the thing that I really get excited about, um, from a scaling perspective is we are working on functionality that will allow people to, let's say, make an agreement, like make a decision, um, at that top level of leadership, perhaps if you have a more of a hierarchical, you know, or even just structured, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, management structure internally. Um, so you could have a group of people sort of making that, you know, decision. Um, and then you would send it to the rest of the organization and have them acknowledge um, that they understand that, yes, this is the vacation policy, or yes, this is the parental leave policy. And I understand that I am governed by that policy. And I have the ability to give feedback. Mm. And so if after three months, 
you know, you you as the decision-making body for the vacation policy, let's say, take a look at all the feedback and you are thinking, wow, this is working great. This was so good. We did such a good job. Um, and everybody's feedback is complete garbage. Then that's a really good signal to you like, ooh, we're a little out of touch like with yeah. what the people actually want. Okay, how do we how do we iterate on this? And you've got all of that input from everybody right there specifically tied to that agreement as opposed to um as opposed to uh more vaguely interpreted from like your annual employment, you know, kind of employee experience survey. And even seeing that history behind the decisions that are there like yes, a lot of exactly. times you're just saying, "Hey, here's here's our PTO policy." Yeah, you don't know that that's gone under like ten revisions in the last year, and we've been trying and experimenting with a lot of different stuff, and so you know that that's going on. This company is willing to change, and they're willing to listen to me. Like that's very motivating um, and and empowering for folks, especially for new folks in this remote you know world that we all find ourselves in, which I personally love. Um, we can talk about that on another one. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think like especially in this remote world where you don't have that in person always you know, kind of um, ability to uh, to kind of find your place and find your voice, like being able to see, wow, they care about what I have to say and they're willing to change things based on what I have to say. Like that's that's a big deal. Yeah, for sure. You talked about a thousand people is too chaotic to make a single decision. Yeah. Two people is enough. Is there kind of like that sweet spot that you feel like when the chaos is still worth it to add in more people? <laughs> Yeah, so we we have um, you know very tentatively because we're still super early and very much learning what works and what doesn't. Um, so this may change because you know everything changes. Uh, but right now we're thinking two to twelve um, okay. is what we're noticing um, with sort of like yeah, I would say ideally under ten. I'm I'm noticing that like once folks get to like ten, eleven, twelve, we're sort of pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, but I would say two to 12 is, is very doable for folks that are fully participating um, in the agreement making consent process. I think that that seems right to be able to actually feel like you're participating in and not just like a, an, a voice off to the sideline. I'm just yeah. wondering if what's going on with this too. So it's been great to have you on the show. We're hitting the end of our time. There's a lot more to, to get through. I love Murmur. I've used it myself in some of my teams. And, and like you said, it reveals a lot of things about my own team that we needed to work. Like I wasn't getting the kind of feedback that I wanted to. And I was really right. trying to drive and, and push uh, these things through. So it made yeah. me step back and be like, not just like, oh, why people need to s speak up more, but then to really introspect and realize, well, okay, why is this not going on? And why is this right. not working? So I definitely would encourage people to check it out and see what's going on. If they want to do that, where should they go? Yeah, murmur.com, M-U-R-M-U-R, -M -U -R, um, is the best place to go. You can join the wait list. Um, there's also, um, we have just like the little intercom um, button down in the right-hand corner. So if joining the wait list isn't quite where you're at yet and you've got a question, um, that's where you can reach the team. Um, but yeah, we're always happy to like chat through and, and uh, share more about what we're up to and how it might work for folks. Yeah, well, it's definitely an important topic. If you're trying to build out a digital workplace and you don't have a clear way to make decisions, this you have to start here. Like you can't go anywhere until you know how to, to move forward. So yeah. think about this, uh, think about how you want to collectively decide things and move forward with it. Again, it's, it's documentation, but it's much more than that too. Uh, and building that out. Sarah, thanks so much for being on the show and, and coming on and being a guest. And we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you found 
Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.